Today's episode is sponsored by Curiosity Stream, a documentary and nonfiction TV streaming service. When I was younger, I would spend nearly every day of the summer indoors watching historical documentaries. I absolutely loved it. And indeed, it was those documentaries that sparked my passion and love for history. In part, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is a result of the love and passion of history that I first encountered in the documentaries I'd watch on TV when I was younger. I would watch everything from PBS to BBC, you know, anything I could get my hands on. Documentaries about Vikings, certainly, but I was fascinated with films across a variety of historical time periods. I honestly feel a little bit deprived of my childhood because at the time I didn't know that Curiosity Stream existed. Now, Curiosity Stream offers a vast array of excellently produced historical films, but of great interest to you will be their show Viking Women. This film follows the journey of Yova, a young Viking woman who goes searching for her warrior father. Her quest takes us to the Viking communities transitioning to kingdoms and those undergoing the conversion to Christianity at the end of the 11th century. As summer is approaching, it is very nice to be outdoors, but I know there are certainly days when I like to stay away from the heat and look forward to taking full advantage of Curiosity Stream. The brilliant thing about Curiosity Stream is that if you follow the link in the description of today's episode, you'll save 25% off an annual subscription, which is only $14.99 for an entire year. That's right, not $14.99 a month, $14.99 for an entire year's worth of historical documentaries. I mentioned Viking Women, but other films on Curiosity Stream include William the Conqueror, The Celts, The History of English, and After Braveheart. After Braveheart is the untold story of how a Scottish army tried to drive the English out of Ireland 700 years ago. Now that documentary is what's next up on my own watch list. If you love documentaries and nonfiction TV as much as I do, And seriously, to this day, I watch a load of documentaries every week. I implore you to do yourself and this podcast, The History of Vikings, a favor by checking out Curiosity Stream. Listeners of The History of Vikings, Curiosity Stream is honestly the TV streaming service that I wish I knew existed when I first fell in love with historical documentaries. You can save 25% off an annual subscription which is only $14.99 for an entire year by following the link in the description of this episode or visit curiositystream.com and use the coupon code VIKING. Many thanks to Curiosity Stream for sponsoring this episode.
Hello and welcome to the history of Vikings. During the Viking Age, the remaining portion of the Roman Empire, known as Byzantium, bore a regiment of warriors from Scandinavia, known as the Varangian Guard. These warriors were elite mercenaries, some might even say Vikings, who left their northern homelands in search of gold and glory, the splendors of Constantinople. Two particular Viking heroes were known to have fought for the crown of Byzantium. Harald Hardrada of Norway, the last great Viking king, and Bully Bullison, an Icelandic saga hero renowned for the riches he gained during his military service. Today, we're going to discuss one of the most famous mercenary corps in military history, the Varangian Guard, and the time when Vikings fought for the Roman Empire. Joining me to discuss this topic is Dr. Raphael D. Amato, an acclaimed military historian and author of a book titled The Varangian Guard, 988-1453, which is published by Osprey Publishing. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Raphael about the Varangian Guard. Rafael Diamato, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for the opportunity to speak about the Valentine Guard. It's an absolute pleasure, Rafael. Thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. And I'm delighted to be talking about the Varangian Guard with you today. Of course, you've written a very popular book for Osprey Publishing in their Men at Arms series, simply titled The Varangian Guard, 988 to 1453. Yeah. Many who listen to this podcast know the Varangian Guard was a military corps in which Vikings fought for the Byzantine Empire. How in the world did Vikings end up in Byzantium? It is a very long history. <laughs> the question is, uh, first of all, we have to make a very important uh, precisation that when we speak about uh, the Byzantine Empire, we speak about something that never existed. The Byzantine Empire did not exist anymore. They did never exist. It was always the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire didn't stop in 476 uh, when uh, Romulus Augustus in the West, let's say, was deposed by Odoacer and the Xignia were sent to Constantinople. The Roman Empire ended in 1453 when the Turks, Ottoman Turks, they occupied what was left of the empire, Constantinople. This is important, not because uh, we don't speak now today about the Roman history, but because the most part of the people is thinking that this strange Eastern Empire was something like a medieval civilization from, uh, let's say, Greek-speaking uh, with uh, Eastern customs, uh, etc. It is not. This was the Roman Empire, and clear, the Roman Empire was evolving during the centuries, but when we speak about, for example, the Empire of Augustus was not the same of Caracalla, and the Empire of Caracalla was not the same of Constantine the Great. So, the northern people, uh, they had always this uh, kind of, uh, let's say, uh, linking with the idea of uh, the Roman Empire and to serve inside the Roman Empire and to fight for the Roman Empire and to uh, have, a, let's say, 
something linked with uh, the idea to be part of the Roman Empire. Even from the 7th century, so very, very, a lot of time before that we can speak about the Varangians, there were mercenaries from the, the North Scandinavia, like, for example, what is today Sweden, what is today Denmark, that were coming in the Mediterranean, and they fought in the Roman armies against the Persians in East, or against the enemy of the Empire in Italy, and so far. So, why the Vikings, what we call Vikings, arrived in Constantinople? Constantinople was the most important city in the world at that time. It was the most magnificent city in the world. The Roman Empire was still very strong, and uh, it was obviously the center of the commerce, the center of the um, Mediterranean world, even for the very important position that uh, Constantinople had uh, uh, across uh, the west and the east. It was a city that uh, was uh, positioned on the last corner of the uh, western world before to arrive in the Asia from the other corner, on the other corner. So it was the crossroad of all the merchants and the products coming from the northeast Europe inside the Mediterranean. Who were the Varangians? Why we speak about Varangians? Varangians uh, is uh, a word coming from uh, var, varar uh, in plural. It means confidence. In Proto-Norse, varing or veringi. Practically, a group of men who had sold each other alliance and proof. Practically, they were traders, northern warriors, traders, coming down, and they arrive in uh, Constantinople because it is called uh, the Rond the Varangians to the Greeks, uh, because, of course, at this time, the Roman Empire is not only in Greek anymore, apart from some small islands in the west, but uh, let's say the most, uh, the language of the empire was now the Greek, because it was the Greek-spoken part of the empire. They arrive see, in uh, Constantinople through the great rivers passing through the uh, Russian countries, uh, what is today the Russian country at that time was a steppes and was a very big and, and uh, uh, let's say, wide regions that the uh, northern warriors, especially from Sweden, colonized and mixing with uh, the local Slavs, created a particular civilization that was then known as the civilization of the Rus practically the ancestors of the, um, let's say, the nation of the uh, Rus, then Russia, as you know. So, the Vikings came down and they were, of course, raiders. You know, the Vikings were very famous. And these particular Vikings, linked by this hold of alliance, arrived in the most beautiful city of the world, Miklagard, the great city, they called it. Miklagard full of gold, full of silk, full of marvelous things for them. And uh, they were, of course, also plunderers, but especially mercenaries, which is the best that do the mercenaries in the most important army of the world in this time. So, in Byzantium, because Constantinopolis was called also Byzantium from its old name, uh, given by the Greeks when they founded it in 7th century BC, they were destined to be remembered not only as enemies of merchants of honey, weapons, slaves, force, but members of one of the most famous corps of mercenaries of the history. 
the Varangian Guard, the Varangian Guard which protected the Holy Basilev, the Emperor of Niaromi, the new Rome, Constantinopolis, and have this eternal uh, reputation in Europe and in the Near East. Now, why might a Scandinavian wish to leave his homeland and join the Varangians? Raphael, you talked about sort of the splendors of Byzantium, of the the new Roman Empire. I mean, I'm sure that was a great interest to the Scandinavians. Was it simply monetary gain? Was it the prestige? The main reason that moved the Vikings was the land of Scandinavia was not offering a lot to the Vikings. We know that the Vikings, first of all, we have to make distinctions. When we speak about Vikings, we have to remember that they're Vikings they were the, a group of warriors, but not all the Scandinavians were Vikings. The Vikings were these adventurers that came to look for booty, for glory, for new lands to fight and to get the glory of the fighting and the conquest. So, from Scandinavia, we know that, beginning from the end of the 8th century AD, this group of people began to raid all the Europe. Before the Northern Europe, then, of course, South Europe, then, from the other side, they moved toward East. Constantinople, the Roman Empire, was a very attractive point to get money. The Vikings, in a first approach with the Roman Empire, they tried to conquest Constantinople. We know that, for example, one of the most famous and legendary figures of the Rus, after they have founded a principate in the city of Kiev, you know, Kiev is, is still now the capital of Ukraine, but at that time was the most important city in the Rus, and uh, they tried to conquest Constantinople, but they couldn't, because the defense of the Romans were practically invincible, the triple war of Constantinople was not possible to be passed, in the same period, it means uh, probably with uh, the Emperor Theophilus, some of them began to be recruited inside the guard. The reason was the goal. The reason was the goal because to be at the service of the Roman Empire, it means to, to get a lot of gold as warriors, to satisfy the, their love for adventure and for war, because they were warriors, so they could fight the enemies of the empire, they can raid the enemies of the empire, they can raid everything that was possible to raid. <laughs> so, in any case, it was a very good occasion to join a war with richness and to even, even by the time, to get even some land because some of them, of course, stayed in the city or around in the place where of the empire. They get the territories, they get lands, they were rewarded also with lands, and they began to be transformed in Romani, Romans, because this was always a peculiar characteristic of the Romans. In the Roman Empire, didn't exist the idea of the racism or elitary ethnic. No, all the people can be Roman if they live according to the Roman law. And especially in this time, 9, 10, 11th century, the idea to be part of the Roman Empire was something that attracted a lot of people from abroad, not only the Varangians. But the Varangians, these Vikings, they had something more. They especially change from an occasional mercenary regiment, already mentioned in the source of 10th century, in a very important regiment and established probably 
by the famous Emperor Basil II, who was uh, the so-called Bulgaroctonus, killer of the Bulgarians, because he won uh, a very terrible war against the Bulgarians, and in this war participated with a very ferocious, uh, let's say, intervent also the, the first contingent of the Varangian Guard created by him. When it was the occasion? The occasion was because Basil II had to face a maintenance, um, an internal uh, usurpation, and uh, he asked uh, the Prince Vladimir of Kiev to send to him 6,000 warriors as mercenary corps. Vladimir sent the warriors after it was something happened, and uh, after the Basil II won this war, Vladimir accepted to be baptized and to transform the whole Rus nation in Christian one. So all the East became Orthodox Christian, and uh, the 6,000 warriors that had been sent just to help uh, Basil II win the war against uh, his rival, they stayed in the Roman Empire and they became the first nucleus of the famous Varangian God. Mm. Did Varangians dress like Vikings or use Viking weaponry? Oh, that's a very, very, very complicated one. At the beginning, of course, uh, we are sure that the Varangians, uh, they keep their, their personal weapons. Consider that the Vikings, uh, they, of course, uh, they were linked uh, in some mystical way to their uh, swords, and especially to, let's say, uh, their axe. And they were famous for this one, for the axe, the Varangian axe. So at the beginning, they used their personal weapons, but after, of course, they begin to be equipped with the imperial arsenal. What was always a constant critic of the Varangians, by the way, was the long axe. The long axe contributed to the epithet by which they were frequently known, the axe bearers or axe bearing barbarians, or guard of the axe bearers, because their primary weapons was their long two-handed axe. And this was also the main symbol of the regiment. Uh, especially closely associated with the long-hafted Danish axe, having this axe crescent-shaped edge. They were, for this reason, called in the medieval Greek by the Romans, Pelekiphoroi. It means uh, uh, the man who brandished the Pelekis, the axe that they carried on their shoulders. Okay? This was a, a characteristic they always kept, and uh, Beside also the famous the, the sword, because the sword, of course, they could be used by, let's say, also using sword from the imperial arsenal, but they were northern warriors. So, according to the sagas of the Varangians, many of them retained their own swords when they entered in the guard. You can understand that when you are used to fight with a weapon, a weapon at that time was not like in the modern time in which you can change a gun, or you can use uh, automatic weapons, uh, etc. No, it was something personal. The sword, especially, was something in which the warrior was trying to use such this sword. His hand was used to add such a sword. It's like an instrument that we are always using, no? The fact that the, the Varangians, they used the personal swords, and especially Viking uh, type of sword, is confirmed by the archaeology. I had the luck, when I was publishing my book, 
to find in Bulgaria a very huge amount of Varangian weaponry that was left on the battle side of Drastar when Alexius Comnenus, Comnenus the emperor of Byzantium, was fighting together with his Varangian guard and the other imperial troops against the Pechenegs. You know, they were people of the steppe fighting against the Roman Empire. So the battle was disastrous for the, for the Romans. And in the retreat, the Varangians left a lot of weapons. And they were found by the Bulgarian archaeologists. And I had the lucky when I was writing the book to find the weapons, exactly just, uh, just found in this period. And I could publish a lot of military equipment of the Varangians, uh, included Zord. And all the Zord, they were of Viking type. For example, we have a complete specimen. Uh, found in the fortress near the village of Opaka, in uh, what today is the region of Tarkovist in Romania, dated to 10, 11th century, so the, the age of Basil II. It is a type key of the classification of the Zord by Petersen, the most, most famous uh, scholar who classified the Viking Zord. We have other remains of uh, Viking uh, Zords, from, uh, and even a complete specimen, uh, from the island of uh, Pacului Luisoare, that was garrisoned by the Varangians when the Romans reconquest part of the Dobrugia, what in the classical empire was called the Mesia Imperium. Of course, to go back to your original question, beside Germanic weaponry, they used, especially for what concerned the protective equipment, mainly imperial arsenal. We can say that at the beginning, uh, they arrived with what they had. After, of course, they used, they were equipped by the Romans. And this was also for another reason, because when they were in Constantinople, they were not more dressing like the Varangians, let's say, the Vikings, but of course they used Roman costumes. They used the very important, the very beautiful costume sites made of silk with gold decoration and embroidery. And we have a clear witnessing of this in the description of the dress of the famous one of the famous Varangians, Bolli Bollasson, who is described exactly as dressed like a Roman guardsman. Uh, the saga, uh, describing him returning to Scandinavia from Constantinopolis in uh, 1030 AD, said he wore cloth of well velvet, which the emperor had given him, and over them a cloak of fine red cloth. At his side, he bore his sword, fought bitter. His hilt was in light with gold, and so was the blade. But then he said he wore a golden helmet, and I had a red shield on his side, on which was thrown a knight in gold, which he had brought from Byzantium. The knight in gold, it is probably in nature of a military saint, Saint George or Saint Demetrius, who was also a very important symbol for the Roman imperial Christian army. And of course, for what concerns the protection of the body, helmet, chainmail, scale, armor, uh, lamellar armor were mainly uh, used according to what the imperial arsenal could give to them. That's very difficult today to reconstruct the images of the Varangians. I did in the book. Uh, of course, many reconstructions are hypothetical, they are speculation, but we, I base it for what I had from the iconography of the sources because I am firmly convinced that iconography is very important and is very clear, even if sometimes it's stylized, but 
does uh, give us the possibility to reconstruct the warriors of the ancient times and the medieval times. I see. Well, very interesting. Now, no doubt there are an array of battles involving the Varangian Guard, but as people who are students of Viking history and indeed medieval history, what battles do you think are the most important or notable? Which battles should we keep in mind? When we speak about the Varangians, the most important battles uh, we had in mind, uh, for sure, because it's involving uh, even Anglo-Saxons, is the Battle of Gyracium in 1081. Now, we have to make a step back. We said the Varangians, they were coming mainly from the Scandinavia and from the Rus. But by time, the composition of the Varangian Guard changed. Yes, always people from Scandinavian country there was, and we have the proof from the sources, but especially after the conquest of England by the Normans in 1066 in the Battle of Hastings, many Anglo-Saxons escaped from England and they looked for fortune in the Mediterranean countries, which was the most important and the most, let's say, attractive point for warriors, to be part of the Varangian Guard. We have to consider that Varangians, when they come back to home, they spoke with other people, they showed themselves as they were, as they were, they, they got rich, uh, which kind of beautiful weaponry and uh, dress they, they, they could uh, wear. And especially the beautiful of Constantinople that at that time uh, we cannot imagine, but uh, I, I can give you one parallel. If you are, are used to go around uh, with a small car and uh, a Rolls Royce is passing through you, you want to, to, to drive the Rolls Royce as well. So it's logical that not the people was trying to go there. The Battle of Viracium was in fact fought by the Emperor Alexius Komnenos to repel the invasion of the South Italian Normans under the, their leader, Robert de Giscard. And the most part of the guard at that time were exactly these English refugees that were now part of the Varangian Guard under their commanders. Now, if we think the Battle of Dilakium was fought in uh, 1081, and then uh, the Battle of Hastings was fought in uh, 1066, there is uh, only a difference of uh, 50 years between the two battles. So many Anglo-Saxons, they remember the enemy they were fasted, that they were facing, they were the same enemy who conquered their land. So they not only they fought for the emperor because of they were loyal to the emperor. The, the, one of the most important characteristics of the Varangian Guard was the, the, the loyalty of the Varangian to the emperor. But because they were fighting the enemy that conquered the land, they wanted revenge against them. In fact, in the Battle of Dirachium, Dirachium uh, it is uh, a city that today is uh, in Albania, in the modern Albania, but at that time was uh, in the imperial provinces of uh, Epirus. And... Uh, the Varangians, uh, 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 practically, they formed the center of the uh, vanguard uh, battle line, and uh, they acted in concert with uh, units of the horse archers, uh, the Vardariotei, the Roman Vardariotei, another regiment of the, the Romans. They were archers that were arrived behind them. The Varangians, uh, when they saw the Normans, uh, they attacked, uh, they advanced successfully in a solid column against the hated Norman. 
and they were winning uh, without uh, waiting the arrival of the other Roman contingents with the help of the archers that were preparing the Norman cavalry attacks. The Valangians were victorious at the beginning. They defeated the infantry in front of them and they drove back to the sea two divisions of the Normans. In one moment, what happens? That the Valangians, they were they, to, to attack in such a way, they were really weakened by the weight of their armor because they ran against the Normans. And they were surprised by another infantry attack by the Normans. The Normans at that point, they charged again with the cavalry and they destroyed the center of the Varangian Guard. A part of uh, the Varangians, they fled towards a near church of St. Michael or St. Nicholas, it's still clear from the sources, and were surrounded by the Normans. They resisted, they didn't want to escape. They were invited by the Romans, let's retreat and say, no, we stand, because they stand because they wanted to fight the Normans, but then they were destroyed at hand, even because the ones that were inside the church perished in the fire that the Normans would set it, were setting to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the church. So, this was a very important battle for the fierce, the, the, the Varangians against the Normans. The Varangians, this was a, a lost battle for the Varangians and for the Emperor. Very other important battles were won exactly before, thanks to the Varangian Guard. For example, the Battle of Eschizagra, Veria, today, in uh, 100, uh, 122, when uh, the Emperor Johannes II uh, attacks the, the famous Pechenex, and uh, the Varangians, uh, notwithstanding the Pechenex, outnumbered them 62-1, the Varangians, most Englishmen again, broke through the wagon lager and the Pechenek were defeated and slaughtered en masse. The battle was so terrible for the, for the Pechenegs that from this moment on they stopped a menace for the empire. Just to, to mention another one, very important battle was the defense of Constantinopolis against the Crusades in 1204. When the, the Varangians stood on the walls against the crusade of the Fourth Crusade, and they were the only ones to get some success against the crusade at the end, conquested the city, and this was really the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire, because uh, the city was terribly sacked for three days. The Varangians, uh, what was left, uh, or surrendered or escaped with the remains of the imperial court to Nicea, Nicaea, in Asia Minor where then uh, the Roman Empire was uh, reformed, uh, strikes back uh, to, to reconquest the city, what was done then uh, in uh, 1261. Raphael, who were the famous Vikings of the Varangian Guard? You mentioned Bully Bullison earlier in our conversation, but I understand that Harold Hardrada of Norway, oftentimes considered the last great Viking king, was a member of that regiment early in his life as well. Harald, uh, let's say, uh, Ardrada was uh, probably the most important and most famous Varangian because uh, we know that he was uh, then later king of Norway and uh, he was uh, uh, dying uh, fighting against Harald, the last Anglo-Saxon king, in the Battle of Sanford Bridge. So he was one of the men who could win the battle and be king of England and change the destiny of the world. But, uh, before he had a very adventurous youth, he came to Constantinople like a young warrior, excellent 
for question of for dynastic questions. And uh, he, he was astonished by the beauty of the city, by the glory of, of the Roman Empire. He was uh, very, very, very brave. And uh, he fought various, uh, various battles. Uh, for example, fought under the flag of the important and famous General Georgios Maniakis in Sicily, achieving great results of the battlefield of Proina against the Arabs, against the Muslims. Then again, one uh, employed by the Emperor Mikhail de Paflagon, Mikhail IV de Paflagon, against the rebel Delianos in Bulgaria in uh, 1041, receiving in the city of Mosinopolis the rank of Pathar Candidatos from the Emperor for his deed. Indeed, Pathar Candidatos, it means once a member of the Imperial Guard wearing the sword of the Emperor, Imperial Swords, let's say. In these campaigns, According to the saga, he took the main role in the campaign, so to deserve the title of Bolgarabrennir, uh, it means uh, devastator of the Bulgarians, uh, was a very, 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 very important man. This young uh, Aral Sigurdsson, it's called uh, Ardrada, Ardrada means uh, the stern ruler, was even recorded in the Roman sources in the Strategicon of Kekaumenos, uh, where even the Romans call Varanja. The Norway. So it's very interesting because the, the Romans called Varangia, Varangia the, the land from which he came. Uh, Arald admired the might of the Romans. Uh, when he was 23 years old, he brought with an army of about 500 men in Constantinople and uh, commanded men. He operated in Sicily, as we said, in Asia Minor. It was uh, uh, very important. We know also that. It is his advance, what you, what you asked me before. He, his, his followers were enrolled individually in the Varangian division. And uh, at the beginning, they were paid on the traditional basis of the Roman payroller. The income of Harald, it is said to have given him the great, greatest personal fortune ever owned by a Northern European at that time. The incredible quantities of loot that he sent or brought home when he returned to Norway became legendary. Even a dozen of strong men find it heavy, his protocol said, and allowed him to strengthen his power over the camp. So you can see why it was so important for the people, let's say, to go in the Varangian Guard. It's also recorded by the fact that he was wearing a, probably a chainmail because it is armor that is covering, protecting him down to the calves, and this was called Emma, this was the name of the armor. It was a mallet caught probably down in, in, in Byzantium. The Varangians were equipped with East Roman armory that, that from these sources, and probably the commanders would have looked sometimes as Roman officers in their peculiar military guard, so they were Viking dressed like Romans, that very typical of the Roman army, of the Roman Empire, in the, the late empire, but even before. Now, Raphael, I understand that toward the end of the Viking Age, Scandinavians and Anglo-Saxons made unlikely comrades in the Varangian Guard. Yeah. Could you tell us more about this? Because I understand that the appeal and the allure of the Varangian Guard was not strictly limited to Scandinavians. Yes, I mean, we have to, to, to think about... Uh, fact that, uh, as, I saw, as I told before, 
when the Varangian Guard, first of all, we don't know exactly when the Varangian Guard was born. I mean, we know that uh, it's 6,000 warriors from Kiev, it's Rus, probably, so let's say mainly Scandinavians, but uh, probably also some Slavic warriors. They were uh, used by Basil II to fight uh, his enemies, and then they remained in Constantinople, and then probably in this moment, let's say, uh, they began to be the Varangian Guard. And certainly, what happens is that this, uh, this was attracting also other people from the same race, so mainly, uh, let's say, from the same uh, Scandinavian race, from uh, Norway, Denmark, uh, Sweden, uh, to join the Varangian Guard. So, let's make a step-by-step. Step. Originally, the guard was drawn by the Rus, but very soon, other Vikings and Norsemen from Scandinavia, like Norwegians, Icelanders, Swedes, joined the run. And then, in the second half of the 11th century, Danes and uh, Englishmen, or even Britons, of the Britons uh, mean people from England of Viking descent. For example, the sources say, that uh, when an army with the Varangians were sent in Italy in 1009, it comprised that this army Dani, Danish, Rossi, it means Rose, and Gualani. And Gualani, who are Gualani? Gualani is very difficult to, to understand. Maybe they are Welsh. So, for a strange reason, probably they were Welsh, mixed with Vikings, coming back to the Varangians. If we speak about uh, the, the, the first nucleum uh, coming back for a while, uh, we should remember that most of the 6,000 warriors uh, sent by Vladimir of Kiev to Basil II, they spoke probably Norse, because they were originally recruited from Norway and Sweden to help, originally, Vladimir to take possession of the throne. So we have Ross, and then we have Varangoi, and then, let's say, we have Englishmen. But all these people, all these famous Norse warriors, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, were attracted to the city to by chance to make a fortune by serving the guard. And after, of course, after 1070, arrived the Englishmen. Why? We, we thought it before, because of the conquest of England by the, by the Normans. Even if there is a, a very debated topic among the scholars, I mean, the problem of the Anglo-Saxon participation and service in the guard is one of the most discussed questions. But there is no doubt the Anglo-Saxons are clearly attesting the guard from the end of the 11th century. Men like the famous Edward Etheling followed the migration of English to East after the conquest of the, the, the Island by the Normans, by William the Conqueror. The sources said for example, of the Ricus Vitalis, which is a, Eastern, is, is a Western source, it's not a Roman one, but it's an a English one, recorded that the English were so much distressed by their loss of liberty that a number of them, with a fresh plume of youth upon them, went to distant lands and went to Constantinople to be enlisted in the guard. But then, even we have the mention in the Roman sources, after 1070, as I told before, of Varangoi from the British Islands, ex Angelis, it means from England, and they at that moment formed the core of the Varangian Guard. That doesn't mean that uh, the other people was not anymore. I mean, as you said, there was practically immigration through the Mediterranean of Anglo-Saxon, Danes, 
then it was uh, even Tokarians in some moment, but mainly the Valanches were English, especially in the time of Komnenoi emperors. Many pilgrims made their way to the Holy Land, of course, many of them passing, going to Jerusalem, they stopped in Constantinopolis, and, for example, a pilgrim from Canterbury visited near Rome, Byzantium, he found some Englishmen, friends of his, member of the imperial household. So, I mean, they were angels. Even in this moment, in the late uh, 11th century, early 12th century, the Romans began to call them Englino Varangi, the English Varangians, even if this sword is, 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 is attested only later. After the reconquest of Constantinople from the Romans when they went back and they throw away the crusade in 1261, the regiment always existed in the Ikea Empire and then always in continuous way in, uh, until uh, at least uh, the mid-14th century, they were now called English. We have uh, Pseudocodinos, who is a Roman writer of the 14th century, a Roman member of the imperial court, he remembers that the Varangians in 1351 AD greeted the emperor in their own language, the textually said Pseudocodinos, Englishy in English. There were also minor Scandinavian ethnical type enlisted in the guard in later times. For example, the Tokarians. The Tokarians, uh, they were uh, Scandinavians who migrated to Siberia and then south into the Tarim Basin region, famous because they had red hair and uh, famous for their tall eight and blue green eyes. But mainly, it, uh, we, we say that the Danish and Englishmen were the member of the Varangian Guard. Uh, after, uh, let's say, the 11th century. And in fact, in the, what I quoted before, the defense of Constantinople in, against the Crusade in 1204, uh, De Villardin, who is telling us of the conquest of the Constantinople by the Crusade, mentioned Danes and Englishmen, d'Anglois et Danois, uh, defending the city. When I speak about the city, I want to underline a very important thing. Constantinople had a lot of names. The official name was Neoromi, New Rome. The second semi-official name was Constantinopolis, and Byzantium was a vulgar name. But, very important, this, the day name that they get, the people was used to call Constantinopolis, was Constantinopolis, was Ipoli, the city. Because for the Romans, the capital, is the city for excellence. And Rome, the ancient Rome, was called in the same way, Urbs, the city, so Constantinopolis, Ipoli, in Greek, of course, because at the time the Romans they speak, they spoke in Greek. But be careful. Why is it, it is this important? Because we know today what was Constantinopoli, it is called Istanbul. Istanbul is just a corruption of the Greek accusative used by the Romans by saying, I'm going to the city, Istinpoli, 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 Istanbul, and was corrupted by the Turks. But even there are sources before the city fall of the Turkey in 1453, where Italian merchants going to the city are calling, I'm going to Istanbul, because they modify in their languages the Greek, Istinpoli. Very fascinating indeed. Well, Raphael, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I'll certainly include a link to your book 
the Varangian Guard, 988 to 1453, in the description of this episode. Thank you again, Raphael. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the History of Vikings. If you've enjoyed today's show and would like to support the podcast, please visit our sponsor, Curiosity Stream. A documentary and nonfiction TV streaming service, Curiosity Stream offers a vast array of excellently produced historical films. As I mentioned at the beginning of today's episode, I wish that I knew about Curiosity Stream when I first got into historical documentaries. The best part about Curiosity Stream is that it's only $14.99 if you use the link in the description of this episode for an entire year of historical documentaries. That's an annual subscription at $14.99. I hope you check it out and enjoy the great documentaries on Curiosity Stream. Thank you so much again for listening to the podcast. Please join us here again for another episode.